0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up everyone. Just wanted to put a quick disclaimer at the start of this podcast. Um, Gabby and I recorded this podcast before the big breaking news of Miami separating from Blake James. Um, So pardon my ranting about. Blake James, and why I didn't understand why the university had not cut ties with him yet to that point after we ended the podcast, um, the university made the right decision and parted ways about 30 to 45 minutes later. Nonetheless, I do think that this podcast has value with everything we said about um, the FSU game recruiting, other opinions Gabby and I had. So I think it is still worth releasing. Uh, So with that in mind, hope you enjoy our typical Monday podcast from Through the Smoke. Thank you. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake, joined as always by Gabby Urrutia, and uh, it's the Monday after that 31-28 Florida State loss. You know, I don't don't know if we necessarily have to go in-depth in breaking it down, but we'll touch on it a little bit. I think then we will kind of go big picture, um, in terms of like, what went wrong this season, um, take a break, talk about the elephant in the room in terms of like, what is Miami waiting for in terms of making moves and then discuss some of the news and notes that trickled out of the press conference today. So let's get this FSU stuff out of the way, Gabby, um, tough watch. Um I just want to go here. We'll keep it kind of short and sweet. There's a lot of plays to analyze, especially in those final minutes, right? Um and so I want to start here. You know, what specific play made us throw up in our mouth most rewatching it? Um I'll go first. For me, I mean, look, we can know the the fourth and fourteen, obviously a big deal. Um, just a bust, honestly, uh, I think by takori couch, but that also goes on Manny Diaz for not having his guys coached up to drop to the sticks. Um, but the, the play I want to touch on is the 60 yard pass to slot receiver, Jakai Douglas, um, this happened with two sixteen left in the game. It was the first play of that uh, game-winning drive by the Seminoles. Um, so why did this play make me throw up in my mouth the most? To me, it's just a, it's a, it's one of the bigger examples in the game of how Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell pencil whips Manny Diaz. Um, as a play caller, as a game planner, um, Mike Norvell owned Manny on this play. Why do I say that it's first down relatively deep in your own territory, right? 20, 25 yard line, um, FSU comes out and they get a look that they like to throw the slot fade to. This is what they do. This is in their identity. This is, you know, Mike Norvell puts this play on tape all the time. Um, They got a slot receiver, manned up against a safety. Manny Diaz is assuming, uh, number one, he's assuming Florida State's not going to throw the ball deep on this play. And he said this, you know, during an interview on the Joe Rose Show on Monday morning. He says, typically, the first first down is the key to every drive, right? So, uh, you know, quite frankly, coming out and throwing a bomb on the first play of a drive takes a lot of balls to do. Not all coaches are going to come out and do that. Um, So just from that standpoint alone, Manny Diaz didn't see this coming. Uh, Mike Norvell dialed that up so the second the second part to that to why Manny Diaz thought that wouldn't happen is because and he's right in this regard Jordan Travis cannot throw the ball he cannot throw the ball deep especially um he didn't have much success throwing the ball deep throughout the game in this instance though Jordan Travis throws a dime um so that part is what it is right um but Mike Norvell came out was ultra aggressive on that final drive of the game. He essentially came out and, and coached with a winning mentality, right? To me, it's obvious in that, in that phase of the game, final minutes, the one thing you can't do as a defensive coach is allow the explosive play over the top, especially to, especially to a guy that's like limited as a thrower. To me, when guys are limited as throwers, you want to force them to work the ball down the field methodically, um, completing, you know, seven, eight, nine yard passes at a time playing prevent defense, right? Chances are when a guy isn't a good passer, he's going to mess up at some point. Um, whether that's, taking a sack, whether that's sailing balls, whether that's throwing an interception, right? You're taking your chances that way when you play that style of defense at the end of a game. Um, Jordan Travis simply is not a guy that can slice and dice you up with his arm. Um, And if he starts running the ball against pre-event style of defense, which is a concern, that though, does chew up clock, right? And at that point, the clock is to your advantage. So, to me, that play was extremely frustrating. It, it jolted the crowd, brought energy to everyone, flipped the field, made Florida State believe that they could go out and win that game. And again, to me, it was a a shining example of how Mike Norvell pencil whipped Manny Diaz play caller versus play caller, game planner versus game planner. Um, so from a philosophical standpoint, I had a big issue with it. Honestly, Cam Kitchens, to me, you know, that that was what it was in terms of him in coverage against a guy who's faster than him. You know, to me, Jordan Travis made a perfect throw. Um, so credit to him for doing that. Um, but after re-watching the game, It's that play that, for some reason, just really bugs me the most. Beyond, I mean, 4th and 14 is brutal to watch. Not letting them score, brutal to watch. I mean, if you're trying to win the game, you got to let them score. I understand the mentality of not wanting them to score, but we're trying to win the game. you got to let them score. Yeah. Um, So that's the play that sticks out to me. Is what what play maybe sticks out to you, Gabby, after re-watching it?
1: Yeah, not letting him score is up there. Um, again, you got to give your offense a chance. Again, like, you know, you gotta sort of live and die with, with your quarterback. He's sort of playing a much better uh, I guess second half of the game or just after that first that sort of first quarter. I mean, to me, that fourth and one and a half that everyone keeps talking about. I know I feel like on the instant reaction podcast, I was like, Yeah, I kind of get it. You punt it there. Uh, your defense was on a run of sorts, but man, like I feel like you got to give yourself a chance. I think, I feel like you have a chance to ice the game right there. Like you get those one and a half yards of the games over right there. Like, like you're done. Like you could probably run it out. I mean, if you get, if they do get the ball back, it's with extru- like very, very, very little time left. I, I mean, I, I look back at that. And again, hindsight's 2020 and I, I guess I do get the rationale, but man, I would have loved to see them just try to go for the kill there. Again, I, like, right. sort of like the same defense of like, Oh, your defense had been playing so well. Like, right. I trust mean, like, you, you in trust that situation them. Exactly. If and you don't you, get it. Right. And it's like, you, he talks about Manny Diaz has talked about that his defense, especially in late and fourth quarters had been so shut down, all that stuff sort of made all the big plays that he's asked them to make or that they've needed to make. So, I mean, give your offense a chance. I mean, they've been moving the ball. Well, you sort of have all the momentum at that point. You scored a touchdown on a fourth that touchdown to Will Mallory to start the fourth quarter was on a fourth down, wasn't it?
0: I believe like it was,
1: so. It was like fourth and two from the goal line. I mean, you I feel like there's something you have to have drawn up there at the end of the game to ice your rival on the road, like in an electric dope Campbell stadium. I feel like you have a chance to end it right there. And and you don't. And again, I understand punting it and all that stuff, but man, I just would have loved to see like that just that just killer mentality of just right. We are leading these guys on the field right now. This game's over right now and we're going to do it with our offense on the field. They've been rolling. Tyler Van Dyke sort of got into a groove a little bit. Wasn't necessarily perfect, which I know we're going to get into. They're the strength of the team
0: too. Like the offense is better than the defense.
1: They're on a 28 to 28 to three run. End it, end it right there. Go, you need a yard and a half, man. If you can't trust your offense to give you a yard and a half in that type of situation,
0: I Go, don't out know tell Go out swinging. Go out swinging, exactly. I, would, I, though, I know the
1: argument would have been, let's say they didn't get it, and right. sure, it would, the, the easy argument would have been to punt it. But again, this is all in hindsight. But with this offense, I think that against that defense, I think two yards was available. And I think you take that.
0: I think that's fair. Um, again, I'm I'm with you. I don't necessarily have the biggest issue with the decision to punt it. I understand why they punted it right but i'm with you i would have i would have liked it more i would have respected it more if they went for it let's say they didn't get it let's say Florida State goes down and scores i still respect it you know what i'm saying yeah. so they probably um, don't throw a
1: deep ball i mean from the middle of the field there i'm not sure they take like that huge shot either
0: and let's say they do score let's say they do score
1: they score quicker
0: probably more time for miami to go get a score of their own, right?
1: And you yeah. probably have all your timeouts, assuming how that drive goes. But still, this is all hindsight, of course. But
0: yeah, and it's all I think hypothetical.
1: Yeah, it's all hypothetical. But I think the there's an argument there to just go for the jugular, man. It's a rivalry game. You
0: need Plus this too. I think it's win. worth pointing out they had got. I what were they? Were they three for three or four for four on fourth? They down? were very
1: successful on fourth downs. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but they had gotten. It. I know the the goal line touchdown was a fourth down. Yeah to start the quarter after the whole ruckus in the middle of the field and all that stuff. You go for it, man. I feel like in a game like that you go for it. This isn't the NFL. Like I, I don't know what again, what his analytics said or whatever it was that they use, but I don't know, man. I think you I think you, you you roll the dice and get get yourself a yard and a half. Like right. I think you do I think you roll the dice there. But to me too, that yeah, speaks to saying.
0: you know, Manny Diaz's background is on defense. And, and I do think from an offensive standpoint, Manny is he is on the uh, more aggressive side offensively speaking of a defensive minded coach, but still in these, you know, 50, 50 calls, I think he's, he's going to always land on the more defensive side of the decision making. Right. Um, so yeah, that game was what it was. Uh, (laughs) let's go like, like you mentioned, right. Tyler Van Dyke, And look, I don't want to kill the guy. I, I don't think he necessarily played bad for the whole game. I, but it's, it's, hard, it's kind of hard to deny that that first quarter is a big reason why Miami lost the game.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, getting in a 14-0 hole is, is not an ideal situation, of course. Uh, on the road, where a crowd is coming alive, all that stuff. Uh, And unfortunately, this is kind of a trend a little bit with Tyler in terms of, you know, he has six ACC starts under his belt, right? In three of those starts, he has started slow. And those three games he has lost or Miami has lost in three of those games. He has started extremely fast, gotten a touchdown drive on the opening possession for the offense And Miami has won those games. So I don't know where I'm at with Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, he's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like he's not good. I guess what I'm asking, like, are we sold that he is like the type of quarterback that can go out and, and win the coastal win an ACC championship and and that the roster is far away from that in itself. But if we're just talking Tyler Van Dyke, can he go out and beat the necessary teams it takes to win at that level?
1: Yeah. And I think that's where it's tough because he has, I, I would say, I mean, you beat Pitt, who's going to come out of the Coastal. You beat North Carolina State, who could come, I guess, second in, in the Atlantic, depending on how that Clemson thing sort of goes. Um, you, you, I feel like you have a little bit of both sides because you've seen the way that he hurts you at, as well. And it's just like, I think you want to see more consistency. Again, when he's really good, it's like the highs are high and then the lows are low because right. I mean, the, the turnovers get really ugly. And there was flashes of sort of Virginia and North Carolina where he just sort of predetermined where he was going with the ball. And he was kind of throwing it there no matter what. Sailed, um, it sa- sailed it a couple times. Sailed it a couple times. I mean G- that Jacoby when he had Jacoby George on, I guess it was like a deep poster or whatever it was that I mean he had he, he had him in stride. Potentially could have just dropped it right in there and it would have been a great throw, but he missed him there. I think he missed Keyshawn Smith too. Um, you know on, on the on the left side uh, that he threw one and I don't know, man. I I, I want to see more consistently again. I think when he's at his best, sure. Right. I mean, give me Tyler Van Dyke, but it's like when. It gets bad. It gets pretty bad, and maybe that's just—I mean, statistically, uh, this is probably more would be, who he he's is,
0: young, right? Yeah, that's and he's the idea. He's he he's young, it.
1: and that's probably true, right? This is what his his sixth start, and you know, we've seen some really impressive performances performances that maybe we would have never expected to see from him, at least not at this stage. And we've also seen the reality of maybe who he is, and it's just like he's probably somewhere in the middle of these two when it's all said and done, when he's experienced and, and all those types of things. But can he, is he the guy that can lead Miami to a coastal, uh, like to come out of the coastal, to represent them in Charlotte uh, next year or whenever it is? I mean, maybe, maybe if we just start to see more consistency from him in terms of just him playing more often, like the the good quarter, the good Tyler Van Dyke, not so much like the bad Tyler, Tyler Van Dyke. And, I feel like at this point we see more good than bad. But again, when it gets bad, it's just you put yourself in a really, really difficult spot with some of the decisions that he makes. And so I I don't know what to make of it sometimes, but I feel good. at It's confusing
0: the the ceiling with him. Don't get me wrong. Again, it's high. Um, It's higher than I thought it would be. Uh, Tyler has a ton of ability. He's got a gun. He can push the ball all over the field, which I love.
1: And I kind of like uh, his demeanor too. Like I like the way he carries himself a little bit too. I think there's something to that.
0: Agree. Um, But again, in these, in these three losses, these three ACC losses, you go back and look at the, the combined first quarter numbers. So this is against Florida state, North Carolina, and Virginia. He is seven of 21 for 34 yards with two picks and a fumble. And Miami is losing by a combined score of 37 to 10 in those three games. So he has ability, but I do think, you know, at that position, it is important for your quarterback to come out and set the tone, you know, leadership in, in major football, whether it's college or the NFL, it starts with the head coach. And then honestly, the number two guy in terms of leadership for a team is the quarterback. So if the quarterback comes out and, and isn't sharp, I think that kind of bleeds into the rest of the team in a way. Um, if a quarterback comes out, starts fast, I think that confidence boost matters in college football. And so, you know, in order to beat good teams, and I don't even think like, I'm not even classifying. Florida State, North Carolina, or Virginia necessarily as good teams. But in order to beat good teams, you have to put four solid quarters together. You know, I don't think they they necessarily need to be amazing, but they just can't be disastrous. And and right Right. now he's having, in those losses, he's having some disastrous first quarters. Um, And so, again, he's young working his way through it the hope would be he can put that behind him with more experience but it is kind of one of those situations where you know just when you're starting to believe in in Tyler Van Dyke being a quote unquote special quarterback which i think he is he has special talent um but part of being a special quarterback is having that poise you know what i mean that composure so I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, again, he's, he's good. He's certainly good enough to start at Miami, of course, and win plenty of games at Miami. Is he that type of special quarterback that can lead them to that next level that I'm alluding to? I think we will, I think that's to be determined. Um, anything else about FSU?
1: I'm good on that.
0: (laughs) The only thing I would touch on if this is quick, is just play Leonard Taylor Moore.
1: Oh yeah, I think that's obvious at this point.
0: I don't understand what's going on there, but anyways, um, so let's go big picture now, Gabby. Miami's five and five, three and three. solidly mediocre. Um, when you look at this season as a whole, right? Going into this season, you know, I think what was it? the Las, Las Vegas, Over-under win totals was set at nine and a half. I think that was fair. Uh, Judging everyone, pretty much everyone outside of Brevin Jordan was coming back from last year's eight and three team, right? You would assume a lot of those guys at least play to the same level or maybe even improve just a little bit. Uh, Also, Miami had some talented newcomers infusing into the program which we have seen, you know, more so than those returners actually make impacts, you know, guys like Charleston Rambo, James Williams, Camp Kitchens have been impact guys, et cetera. Um, But things have not worked out that way. So I'm wondering, you know, if we take a step back, because sometimes we get in the middle of the season and get stuck in the weeds about, you know, you know, they should be playing Leonard Taylor more, stuff like that uh but if we pull back go big picture and and we can't say dear king's injury right i don't you know i think that is a fair explanation but i want to get deeper than that
1: deeper for sure
0: um uh, because i i still think even with Eric king's injury this team should have been an 8 and 4 team quite right. frankly uh that's not the case though so where do you think Looking back, things kind of went wrong for this program this year.
1: I mean, the thing that stands out to me most is just, I mean, you touched on it. It's, it's a lot of these veterans that sort of returned to the team that it, it seemed to me just didn't get better. Uh, I mean, you have, you have to be excited about all the experience coming back and whatever it was, the, the ton of returning starts on the offensive line, the entire offensive line was coming back. I mean, on defense, really, all you lost, I mean, you lost Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, but get everyone back on offense, everyone minus Brevin Jordan, plus the pieces like a Charleston Rambo, uh, even an Elijah Arroyo type. And just, it felt like no one really got better. It felt like no one took that next step in their development. Um, And I feel like that was ultimately just what held this team back a little bit and then sort of just at least to me, just giving those guys all like the snaps and all that stuff before James Williams and Cameron Kitchens and all that, just these veterans sort of filled the roster space and took up a lot of the snaps. And the reality was that these were just, these were guys that just didn't, they didn't progress. And they weren't as they probably were either not as good or just as good as they were last year. And when you're building a college football program, that's not what you can do, especially when you're running into an Alabama And you're running into a Michigan state who ended up being an extremely respectable team. And you run into some of these programs that have that obviously have a lot of talent and you're just not able to match up. And to me, it was just extremely disappointing to see, you know, really the offensive line took what five or six games to get settled in. Um, A lot of those veterans ended up getting benched or transferring or whatever it was. And, you know, it's agree.
0: I think so. I agree, like my point in this regard is kind, and it's I think it's what you're speaking to. I think it goes deeper than just older guys not improving though, or, yeah, just not improving. some regressing. Uh, to me, looking back, it just seems like there there was a little too much of an assumption around the program that they would be better be able to build. On this on last year's twenty twenty season, you know yeah um, just a little too comfortable, and I contrast that with how they handled the off season you know coming off of twenty nineteen when they went six and seven, things were rocky after that season, right uh, and quite frankly, people inside the program would would tell me, yeah, we know we are coaching you know, everything we do is for our jobs. That was kind of the mentality in 2019 going into 2020. Now, in, 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 addition to that, they, they did land Derek King who, you know, played a role in, in fixing the offense along with Rhett Lashley, et cetera. Um, but it just seems like, it seemed like this offseason they were just a little too comfortable. Um, little too much assuming that, yeah, we're going to be able to keep this rolling. we, we made that jump from six and seven to eight, and three, everyone's coming back. So why shouldn't we win 10 games? Right. Okay. And I think we saw that a little, that mentality, the most, you know, it, it, in their recruiting strategy. I was of,
1: literally about to say that, like it felt like that way in recruiting too, that they just assumed that it was going to be this nice big season and look where it sort of led them.
0: Right. And so, yeah, they were too comfortable in recruiting. Um, and I, I, do wonder if some of that bled into the players like you're alluding to, right. The guys coming back. Um, you know, I, I also think. Many Diaz has too much on his plate. If we're being honest, you know, uh, I I think the hardest thing for a new coach that is making that jump from coordinator to head coach is really understanding that you have to take on a CEO role, right? You kind of, you have to almost not totally get away from what got you to that head coaching job, but you kind of just have to trust other people to handle those responsibilities. Yeah. And so you know, when he announced he would be taking on the defensive coordinator play calling duties, um, I was a little wary about it because being a head coach, there's a lot of responsibilities you got to fulfill. And I just don't know if there is enough hours in the day to be a head coach and a coordinator in terms of defense and you know, you have play calling head coaches offensively. I think it's it's different on defense though. And and honestly, I would prefer my defensive head coach to focus on recruiting, have a defensive coordinator able to handle the defense and have your head coach in that CEO role that, hey, if if I see my older guys maybe are a little too comfortable, maybe they aren't pushing it like they should. He can put out that fire. Or if tackling is looking atrocious in practice, I can put out that fire. Um, I think he's a little too much in the weeds with handling head coach duties and defensive coordinator duties. And I think that has affected recruiting, number one, you know. Um, and number two, I just think he's missing a lot of the signs with this team's faults um, that I don't know if he would have missed if he was really just the head coach. But again, I think this is a common issue um, with new head coaches. They always want to meddle in their area of expertise. And uh, you know, we're seeing that this year and quite frankly, it's been a failure uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Manny has not been able to fix it and so you know from that standpoint what are we doing
1: do you do you, like so in a situation where again I don't really know what's going to happen at this point but I mean let's say if Manny Diaz they say Manny Diaz is coming back would you assume that that would be uh something that they ask him to do is you need to hire a defensive coordinator you need to like basically remove or do you think that's something he would want to do like do you think that's something that would that would have to come from him or like I don't know because I feel like that's also like a you got to swallow your pride a little bit and sort of say, Hey, I I wasn't able to do this successfully.
0: Well, number one, at this point, I would be a little surprised if he does come back.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: But yeah, if he has that opportunity, if he has the opportunity to come back, he has no choice, but to swallow his pride and and go get a defensive coordinator. If he doesn't want to do that, then he's not going to be the head coach anymore. You know, um, if he has the opportunity to come back. So, yeah, I do think there is a pride issue. I do think he, you know, he's very picky about what type of defense he wants to run and how it is run and, uh, you know, who's calling his defense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I do think there's a little bit of ego involved there too, which is the case for most head coaches. Um, at this point, though, I just think he's got no more bullets left in the chamber, right? right. So I don't, I, don't see how he comes back. Um, but you know, he uh, he moved from his offensive coordinator in year one. Yep. He moved from his defensive coordinator in year two. I mean, what's he going to do now? I mean, he, you know, I have to credit, uh,
1: he went all in on red and lost. It feels like
0: I have to, I have to credit Mike Ryan from the Dan Lebitard show on this joke, but it is so true. Manny Diaz, uh, the head coach would fire Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator right now. Yeah. I guess it's just not good enough. So, um, And, I mean, if we're looking for the future, like recruitings at the tank, transfer portal, what are we talking about there? I mean, we all know what that is. Um, So, anything else? Big picture-wise, where things... I mean, obviously, losing De'Ara King was a big deal, too. We can't just brush that under the rug. But still, I think even when you lose De'Ara King, this team should have gone 8-4. and Uh, I'm tired of this oh, Miami's three and three in the ACC. Uh, They've lost all these games by a combined nine point. I mean, this is the problem. Like this is, and in a one-year vacuum, sure, that excuse works. But the issue is we've seen this for 17 years now. We're sick of it. We're tired of it. So uh, anyways, let's take a break now and let's, uh, let's address kind of the elephant in the room, I guess. All right, we are back. So, elephant in the room time, right? Miami's five and five, three and three. You got beat by the worst FSU team. Well, I guess last year's FSU's team was worse, but yeah. the second worst FSU team in the modern era. Um, so, elephant in the room. What is Miami waiting for to make a change? Let me just get your take on this, Gabby. The fact that Miami has not made a change, whether that's Manny Diaz or Blake James. From your perspective, does that give you cause for concern that a change will not be made?
1: That's what I'm like. I don't that's what I don't know. It's just like I feel like I feel like I'm still pretty confident that something's going to have to change just because like. I mean, what are you going to do here? Like really what's like the, like the, how does this get fixed otherwise? But I do think that there's something to the fact that just no one said anything. And, um, I think that could be a testament to just like the, maybe the type of change that's coming that the person that could even announce that sort of change maybe doesn't even have the ability to announce that type of change. Cause who knows what happens there. It's been muzzled. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, maybe that person's like, exactly. Like say a, like a Blake James, like, let's say it comes down on him too. Like, can like who is going to be the person that goes out there and says that change is coming? Like, I don't think that there is a representative right now or someone that's in power that's going to... That really, at this point, has the authority to... Again, I don't know if Blake James could just decide right now if he has the power to decide if Manny Diaz is coming or going or whatever it is, uh, because who knows what happens there. Um, So that's sort of my take on it right now that I think that there's just... I think that it speaks more to the, the volume of the change that's coming, the type of change, the magnitude of the change that's coming, rather than right. the fact that no change is coming. That's sort of my best read on this right now. We're not really knowing a whole ton or anything like that, or just not like hearing anything directly from the university like that. But um, I can't imagine them going into 2022 and just saying, we're going to run this back exactly as it is, as it stands currently. Uh, that would be a disaster. Yeah, I think there's changes that need to be made across the the athletics program, even like within the football program, I think that there's things that, that need to, you know, change as well. And yeah, I guess that would be my overall take on that. I have no idea what to really make of this, this silence because who knows, it feels like it was sort of served on the silver platter where Blake James was kind of hinting at what was going to happen. Obviously that blows up and then it's just sort of like, okay, who, what, what, what happens now? And um, I guess it's just sort of wait and see mode, but I would expect changes to be made this off season at some I think point. changes
0: will be made. I think too, it's worth pointing out, right? There are still, there's only two weeks left in this season in the regular season. Right. Um, I, you know, my understanding is, is they want to give Manny Diaz a chance to finish out the season at this point, again, two weeks left not because he can necessarily save his job. I'm not saying that it's just, you know, two games left. Why not? Kind of, uh, thinking. I I do think they don't want young players to enter the portal. Um, which I get that concern a little bit. They also need one more win for a bowl berth, which you could argue if they're going to make a change, what's the point of caring about the bowl game, et cetera, et cetera. But still, that is something. Um, and two, you know, I mean, as corny as this is, this week is is senior week, right? When they recognize the outgoing players on the roster. Um, and so it, it, it might have been a little callous to move on from Manny um this week so uh I do think that changes will be made not reporting anything it's just kind of my sense on things uh just speaking candidly um with Blake James however I don't know what the weight is for and so that's where I'm a little wary about him coming back. Um, I still think a change gets made there in some way. I think if if or when May, Miami moves away from Manny Diaz, I don't think Blake is going to have a big say on who the next football coach is. Uh, Blake does have friends inside the athletic department and on the board of trustees that like him. The flip side, there are board of trustees members that really do not like him. Uh, So I do wonder, you know, because of these good relationships Blake James has, if they are giving him an opportunity to go find another job rather than just straight up fire him. Um, But yeah, in terms of like, what are they waiting for? Just rip the Band-Aid off. If it were me in charge, I would rip that Band-Aid off because I think that move sends a big message to the college football world in terms of like, okay, we're ready to get serious. We got rid of this leader that's been holding us back with his poor decisions over the years. Um, And it would be attractive to legitimate football coaches Right, who, who might want to come here. Um, so does that make sense? Manny, I kind of get like why not, why they're not ripping the Band-Aid off. I'm not saying that's what I would do, but I get it. Uh, with Blake, I don't get it. And it is, you know, I would definitely rip the Band-Aid off there.
1: And I think that's just, again, if you do want to be serious about football, do you want to see this sort of move forward. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I, again, I think it sends a message like we're we are Miami. I think that there's something promising in place here. Let's say they are able to sort of keep the roster together. I think making a move like that is just like, Hey, we're ready to get serious about football. We feel like we have an okay roster or a roster. That's at least competent enough to at least maybe compete in the coastal. Um, You have a quarterback that has shown promise. I think that there's something attractive about the situation and, Again, just sort of getting a leg up on that, especially with this coaching carousel, how it's going to be. I think it's going to be absolutely nuts uh, with USC already open, with LSU open. Uh, Washington, you know, is a is a big job over on the West Coast. Uh, the potential Florida opening. Um, you know, I think that you need to give yourself as much time and sort of just as, as, as you need to give yourself an advantage if this Take is a move yourself- that you're going to make
0: as attractive as possible. exactly because there's going to be James does not make you an attractive place no he just no, doesn't and no, I know people not. people inside the program don't want to hear that but it's the truth uh if you want to go out and get another bid level head coach Blake James can do that all day yeah. um if you want to take a swing at legitimate coaches that have a chance to turn this program around Blake James is not your guy uh, Blake is a fundraiser He's very good at that. He is not a leader and he does not understand athletics. That's why his whole MO is promoting assistant coaches that he already knows. Um, and in my,
1: It eliminates the need to actually make an educated like decision.
0: Well, in my opinion, part of that is part of the reason why he does that is out of his own self-interest, right? He knows like, If he just promotes assistants, those assistants will be grateful to him for the opportunity to be a head coach. And, you know, Blake has that little bit of power over them. Um, It is my opinion that Blake James does not do what is best for the program. He does what is best for Blake James to remain in power. And that was shown by his actions of hiring Manny Diaz within 12 hours of the job opening the last time, right? Um, It was also shown again earlier this year when Blake James went on a secret uh, media tour the day before a game to distance himself from Manny Diaz. That was not the best thing to do for the program. That was not the best thing to do for the team. That was the best thing to do for Blake James. He wanted to put this front out that he's in charge. He's got this under control. He thought Miami was going to lose to NC state that day. They did not. That plan blew up in his face. Um, And that's another example of why Blake James is a bad leader. If you're going to fire Manny Diaz, which would have been a popular decision. Like if he did that, he would have gotten no pushback, but he still wouldn't do it. Because he's weak. If you're gonna fire manny Diaz, fire Manny Diaz. Don't hint and 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 walk around it and do Yeah, secret. like like
1: tip like tiptoe around it.
0: Right. Just do it. Um and, and because like what did LSU
1: it, did. Look what Scott Woodward did at LSU. It's just like they beat Florida, a ranked Florida team, and said, Yeah, you know what? It's just not good enough. Right. There's just levels to this, like. Yes, they to, they, to leadership in, in these at these major universities. And I think that's a clear like case study of just like this is what the top leadership looks like. This is what big boy leadership looks like. And this is what small time leadership looks like
0: at the athletic yeah. director. Level. And, and and game recognizes game. Right. Right. Legit football coaches don't respect or trust Blake James.
1: Who would In any walk of life? You, you you would you want to work for someone like that? That no, he backed that Manny,
0: would. and now exactly. and Manny went on a little winning streak, um, which you know hurts. And look, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not defending Manny in this regard. I'm just saying this is the reality of that situation. If Manny continued to win, there was a chance he came back. He comes back. Yeah. But but within that point, his athletic director sandbagged him. On the recruiting trail. And when your athletic director, when your leader messes with recruiting, that is a huge deal in the coaching world. You cannot mess with someone's recruiting ability. And Blake James going on that secret media tour did that, um, you know, after Manny won three games in a row. So I don't understand why Blake James is still the athletic director. It's time to move on there. He's part of the problem. You could argue he's the biggest part of the problem. And, uh, each day where that passes, you know, where Blake James is still employed and nothing happens, it does frustrate me. You know, there's this over the past 17 years, there's this fool's gold mentality around the program of, Hey, we have enough money. Hey, we have enough fan support. Um, you know, there's just, everyone's just content with average. And uh, Blake James is taking advantage of that because, you know, like I said, there's plenty of money. There's always enough fan support. And even with this poor leadership, Miami still goes every year, basically seven and five or eight and four. Imagine if they had real leadership, right? what this program could do, right? I mean, you see like what What Florida's doing now, Florida has a legitimate AD and a legitimate coach, and they're kind of in the same spot as Miami right now. Now, they do play in the SEC, which is hard, but they're they're in the SEC East, you know. It's not like they're in the SEC West. Florida State, I would argue, also has bad leadership, you know. Their their administration has fallen off, too, and that's why they're in this position. So I hope the decision makers understand how important it is for an athletic director to have an athletic director that understands not only fundraising, because it's great, you know, to bring in money that is important, but understands athletics. That is an area that needs to be upgraded significantly. And go get someone that will do the best things for the program, not for their own self-interest. Was that enough ranting? Goodness. That was money. What got into me? No, you're good. I love it. Anyways. um, Real talk. Press conference notes. So, yeah. I mean, let's just be real here. Like, we don't know. I mean, this is, at this point, it's just kind of like, what are you going to ask Manny? We all know what it is. He got out coached against Florida State, made a bunch of poor decisions. We can dissect them all. He's going to say what he's going to say anyways. Uh, Got a lame duck situation with the athletic director, too. What are we going to ask about that? Everyone knows what he is, too, by now. Um, So let me just say that on the front end for people who like to criticize the UM beat writers. Um, (laughs) It's an interesting thing to get mad at the UM beat writers, in my opinion, uh, or taking out your anger about what's going on with the umb writers like manny's just gonna say what he's gonna say like we can't make him say what you want him to say um anyways james williams has a soft tissue injury will be assessed as the week progresses so we'll see how that goes to me gabby i don't know how you read this to me it looked like it was a groin issue like a so he went into he the was game walking
1: the, off the field. He was walking off the field, like with like holding his like groin and stuff like that.
0: It's what At least on like. TV. Yeah. Right. So he went into the game with a shoulder deal, you know, and the body, it seems like all these things are connected. Right. So I don't know if the shoulder deal caused him to run weird. and had a leg injury. I don't know, but that's something to monitor. Manny didn't say he's like definitely out this week, but it's something to monitor. Um, this is something you can uh, discuss here from the Manny Diaz press conference, Gabby. So let me let me. So for people who like to talk about the beat writers, I asked about the transfer portal, right? And people were criticizing that. Let me explain why I asked that, right? Because obviously Manny Diaz is still the head coach. We have to operate like he is still the head coach, like he is still going to recruit. And right now, his recruiting strategy is the transfer portal, right? Which I get, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to be as gangbusters as he as he thinks it is. And why do I say that? So, my theory is that you know the transfer portal is no longer some thing to exploit that other teams are not exploiting. I think moving forward, every team is going to use the transfer portal as a avenue for talent acquisition, right? Um, two, three years ago, Miami was one of the few schools who was really using it, <clears throat> really dipping into it to add to their roster. Um, I think now with guys like Kenneth Walker, Jermaine Johnson, and just in general, guys, more guys entering the portal, I think you're going to see everyone start to use the transfer portal. Alabama, Ohio State, um, all these schools that are good at recruiting high school players, I think, are now going to also use the transfer portal. So that was my question to Manny. Do you expect the transfer portal market to reset and kind of reflect the high school recruiting market? Uh, which is basically a reflection of on-field success, right? The teams that win the most generally recruit the best. It is my theory that moving forward, the teams that win the most will also add the best transfer portal players. How did Manny answer that question? Because I don't know if he really did.
1: Yeah, I don't know that he really did either. I think he was just talking about, again, he always talking about just like the transformations and <laughs> how the college football game is changing. And yeah, I mean, to your, like, to your point, like, oh, Alabama went out and got a Jamison Williams and they got Henry Toa Toa. And
0: you know how, you know, that, then is
1: that when he dropped the, the college football playoff thing? About, he talked on,
0: about how college football playoff expansion yes. would help spread he the do- talent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Then he's like, Oh, with like with the college which I was I mean, I guess we found out Manny Diaz is a college football expansion playoff expansion guy. Uh, because I guess that well, would he help. Should be. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, you know, how that could help get more teams into that conversation because now these top players are gonna want to go play for a college football playoff and all that great stuff. So literally to me it's almost like in a way he's agreeing with you because he's also acknowledging that the best players are gonna want to go to the, the best schools and
0: basically I was pointing out his strategy is faulty, you yeah. know? And I don't think like, let's say the Charleston Rambo situation, right? Let's say Charleston Rambo entered the transfer portal this year. Does he end up at Miami or does a legit offense that needs a wide receiver say, yeah, come play for us. You know what I mean? Cause Charleston right. Rambo, if we're being honest, didn't necessarily have a ton of options. So I think more schools are going to be paying attention to the transfer portal.
1: And it's just like the way that the recruiting is going, like you're saying, like, I don't know if anyone's banking on it more than Miami is right now, because a lot of these schools are still recruiting at a level where they're they're bringing in high school talent and maybe they're not all leaving a ton of room for the transfers. But now you have the opportunities with these new transfer rules that. If, like up to seven guys, if someone were to transfer out of your program, you can replace those guys with transfers. So even the, the schools that are recruiting high school guys that are bringing in the numbers, as long as they stay under 85, they could ha- still bring in up to seven transfers if guys from their programs decided that they wanted to to leave. And it's just like, I know that it's it's all new and it's all different and stuff like that. But any school, schools have more access to the transfer portal now than they've really ever right. had, even if they do just. Dis- decide to continue to recruit at the high school level the way that they typically always have. Again, as long as they stay under that eighty-five, the 85 scholarship.
0: I guess my point is, look, you're not landing your top high school targets because you're not winning. Yeah. Why will you be able to land the best players in the portal if you're not winning?
1: And I know his thing has always been, I know he said this in the past. He didn't say this today, but like, oh, he feels like Miami is a more attractive destination to older guys who are maybe looking for other things in their college experience after they've already gone through the recruiting process that Miami sort of hits a little bit differently, I guess, to some of these guys that have already been at college and all that stuff. And sure. they see Miami differently than maybe high school kids see it in the recruiting process, which maybe I can buy that a little bit. But I think I that was the case two can... years ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't know th-
0: if that's the case anymore. Right, right. You asked a recruiting question as well. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just curious, just because, again, I mean, we're we're a month from signing day, like today. Today's November 15th, National Signing Day, December 15th. We're a month away from, you know, pen meeting paper for a lot of 61? these. 61?
0: What are we at? 61? We're country. at 60 right
1: now, at least on the, on the composite number 60. And so, I mean, I, I basically just asked, like, you know, in hindsight... Um, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. They were sort of content with they with the fact that they thought they were going to have a big twenty uh, a big season this year. So it felt like they were very they're kind of in cruise control throughout the summer. Where you know, yeah, they brought guys on campus and they did the whole official visit thing and they did all that type of stuff. But they weren't pushing the way that some of these other schools were, like pushing kids and really trying to sort of solidify that class over the summer. They were sort of banking on that they were going to just win the season and all that stuff. So I sort of asked like. Do you sort of look back at your, philo- your recruiting philosophy over the summer and sort of think about like, you know, ways that you can sort of tweak that? Because, it, it, I mean, in hindsight, that was not the right approach. They needed to go right. you high pressure. You if he would change his approach. Yeah, basically if you would change the recruiting approach that they had over this summer. And, um, you know, basically he said that they are constantly evaluating things, but that they still... The, even, like,
0: the interesting thing he said is right now there's no panic.
1: Yeah, and that's, what, that's what's insane Yikes. to me. And it's, and that's what is just like, all right, there's no pan. Like, how are you not panicking right now? Like how, like you're Miami, you have eight high school commits. And I get that you, maybe you really truly wholeheartedly believe in this transfer portal thing, but at what point has like a major power five school signed eight commits? Cause that's very likely at this point. And it's likely that, I mean, let's not completely rule out the fact that it's under eight commits. And that's also assuming that you are there to sign the class. On December fifteenth, So there's like a lot of different things going on here. Like, I don't think you can just be okay with having eight kids committed. And I get you go want to go with the quality and all that thing and all that type of stuff. But I I think that you need to, it can't be this. I think this is to an extreme of just literally eight guys. They said they didn't want to have like up to like 12 to 14 kids over the summer would have been too much. And I'm just like, okay, that's fine. But like, you're not even going to get the eight to t- the, from 12 to 14 guys, like on signing day on December 15th. So like, what, what do you like, what's going on? Like, I don't think that that, I think it's just to an extreme of just like being conservative and not well, to my point, guys and stuff like that.
0: I don't think the transfer portal is going to be as good as they think it is for them.
1: Right. And that's very um, possible.
0: I will say this. He also admitted to you that he's not happy with the footprint of this commit class. Did you pick up on that?
1: Kind of. Yeah. I I didn't really get what, like, I didn't really like understand what he was sort of going with there. What what did you, what did you take away from that? No
0: South Florida recruits, no South Florida commits, I think is what he's getting at. So he did kind of admit that that's disappointing. Um, But yeah, he, he talked around it. Um,
1: Yeah. He also, again, I, I want to point this out because I just find this hilarious. He also, again, said that at this point, or that he got Leonard Taylor and James Williams really late in the cycle <laughs> last year. Both of those guys were in the class before Miami yeah,
0: snapped the ball he keeps against this. UAB
1: last year. Like when Miami played against UAB last year to open the season, both right. Leonard Taylor and James Williams were in the class. So I, I don't know where that's coming from. And uh, I don't know. There seems to be some sort of disconnect there because... He's he said that multiple times already. At this point last year, Leonard Taylor, James Williams were not in the class, and it's like, dude, right. they had been in the class it's for months true. already.
0: At this point, it's not Jake true. Jake is the one guy. He yeah. Be Jake is the,
1: Jake is the only guy. Maybe yeah. it doesn't sound as attractive, but that's the only guy because Leonard committed in August. James committed on like a random Tuesday in like June or July.
0: Right. Brett Lashley spoke to, he. Went on a little rant about how losing Derrick King was a huge deal for this team. He said it's like losing your franchise quarterback in the NFL. He said, look at what losing Deshaun Watson has done to the Texans. He says he's proud of the way guys have battled on his side of the ball the whole year. I understand your point, Rhett. I think it's all very fair. But again, this is year 17 where the fan base has seen this movie in some form or fashion everybody's fed up with it so you know this Miami theme 20 Miami football 2021 theme that this coaching staff wants to put up of uh we compete hard and almost win we're tired of it at this point fair to say yeah
1: yeah definitely fair to say I've never watched Miami be good so I mean that's that's <laughs> something you, was... were,
0: you were live in 2017 bro
1: Oh, okay one year I saw my one one of my 26 years they were I've seen, they were I've decent. Seen Miami be good
0: yeah they were decently good then
1: yeah they were okay 2017 was like the peak of like Miami fandom
0: for you because in tw- and 20 <laughs>
1: 2001 I was six nice five maybe
0: but yeah Miami football we compete hard and almost win um Jonathan Patkey said, Chase Smith played well in his ten snaps at Striker. He liked what he did. He says he does have the frame to move inside potentially. He didn't say that's like going to happen or anything like that. Uh, again, I have pounded the table on that since I laid eyes on Chase Smith and said, "What are you waiting for? Move that guy to linebacker. You're wasting time developing him at Striker." So, if you read the tea leaves if this staff is still around, it seems like Chase Smith will move to linebacker next year. Maybe
1: would I would love like that. that. I would love that. I would, I would like that very much.
0: So, uh, let's get out of there on the, uh, let's get out of here on that note. Um, again, sorry for my ranting. I don't know what gets into me sometimes. I think, pe-
1: I think the people love it, David. I think you gotta, you gotta let it rip
0: yeah so big game against virginia tech and a couple five and five programs we will uh we'll talk about it in the next podcast can't wait little hokey hurricane action senior day send these guys out on a good note so till next time appreciate everyone listening everyone tolerating my rants